Welcome to Threads of Impact. I am your host, Susan Awar, and I'm here today with a very special guest who will briefly share her experience as a doctor of public health student at UC Berkeley. Welcome, Wine. Before we go any further, I would like to appreciate you for the support you offered on the Epidemiology Task Force tutoring platform last year. Thank you so much, Susan. This is such an honor to be part of your podcast. Oh, lovely. Uh, could you briefly introduce yourself so our listeners can get to know you better? Sure. Um, my name is Juan, and I'm an international student all the way from Brunei, and I am here for the Doctor of Public Health program, which people often confuse with a PhD program at UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am also um, a military officer from Brunei. So I've got a bit of uh, some, some experiences in um, managing training and research with military health. Um, and also on the side, I've also co-founded a social enterprise, um, which is aimed at facilitating training programs in Brunei um, so that people who are interested in sharing like any form of skills are able to sort of, you know, like um, make some side income on the side and meet mm-hmm. people who are interested in their skills. Um, so Currently, um, I'm like when people ask me about like what I'm doing in my public health program or like dissertation, yeah. I I am honestly in the exploring stage, but my um I, I'm I'm thinking about going to um the social aspects of infectious diseases. I had a MPH um, degree from Yale School of Public Health back in 2015. And I've been yeah. thinking about like, you know, like how do I complement my understanding of infectious diseases with the other aspects um, that I feel are so much more relevant, at least um, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Currently, I'm in the exploring stage um, of trying to get to the social aspects of infectious diseases, especially as you'll know, um, we are currently in undergoing a very tough time. COVID-19 pandemic is you know, it affected everyone. And a lot of this, you know, like understanding the virus alone isn't enough to mitigate the the pandemic. The effects so, of the mm-hmm. pandemic, yes. Yeah. So understanding the social aspects of things um, of the pandemic will be very, very useful, um, especially if we're thinking about like how can we be better prepared next time? Um, and that is why um, I am into um, the social media um, mm-hmm. aspects of things. Um, so specifically, I, I am interested in studying how the information on COVID-19 um, vaccines, how the information on, that, um, on, on those vaccines are being shared in a community, right? Especially yes. through, through the context of um, social media. We we there there are many research on there are many types of research um, that have been done on this, but I, I I feel that there is still a huge gap in understanding how such a social media content um, is being transmitted 
in local languages, you know. So like for me, I'm from Brunei where predominantly we speak uh, Brunei Malay and a little mm-hmm. bit of English. Um, so how do you how do you capture those kind of information on the social media, right? What can you understand from how people respond on social media platforms and what makes certain social media content believable um, to the point that people want to um, get vaccinated or reject vaccination completely, right? Um, So it's an interesting question because um, we often talk about um, social media being a very bad, you know, like it's as if it's a vector of misinformation, right? Very misleading at times, yes. But but if you think about it carefully, like social Mm -hmm. media is actually a very powerful tool. It's it's a double-edged sword. I would not deny that. But I also feel that how do we, you know, take advantage of the strengths of social media? Because Brunei itself, the country that I come from, has almost 99% of social media penetration rate. That means almost everyone above legal age of using social media are users of social media, right? And yes, we have a very high vaccination rate. And people usually, you know, link this like, oh, when there's social media, people are will be very hesitant to be vaccinated. But it's the opposite effect in Brunei. And so I'm interested in exploring what makes the social media, you know, what, what makes it, in, in this case, a, a powerful and positive tool in intervening, intervening hesitancy or rejection of vaccines, right? Because I'm sure everyone has seen at least like one content that talks about rejecting um, vaccine or being hesitant about vaccine. But yet the effect isn't there. The people are still very supportive and accepting of vaccines. And so that's a little bit of me. That's my passion right now. (laughs) Wow, that's a really interesting question you're working on. And uh, yes, it's really social media and communication is a very powerful tool in public health and advancing uh, public health goals. So well done, well done. And I, I look forward to see what you'll come up with when when you're done with your your doctor PhD. You, yeah, and you also mentioned something about PhD versus doctor PhD. Could you shine some light on this so that our listeners can know what the difference is? Yeah, sure. I was contemplating um, about doing PhDA in public health as well. Um, but I guess because I come from a background um, where my career in the military requires me to be a generalist. Um, I, I can't be a full-time scientist sitting down, at a, you know, like in the lab, just, you know, just working on a project. I, I'm because I have been involved with a broad range of projects, you know, in research and training, what seems to be more relevant for me is the ability to be fluid between all kinds of disciplines in, in public health, being able to manage and lead teams in such projects and be able to say develop program. And, you know, like we have the capacity to do research, but it's not, entirely um, we're not trained entirely to do that so it's a little bit of everything Um, and so I would highly suggest for those who come from the industry or you know more on the practicing side of public health instead of just fully focused on 
you know, research, I would highly suggest, um, I would highly recommend to pursue DRPH. Um, but of course, it comes with a bit of, um, like, there's a little bit of, you know, pros and cons for both. For me, the DRPH program is a bit straightforward in terms of, like, it's, it's structured. So the first two years means you would have to take classes, which might not be, you know, something that everyone, you know, is interested in. But for me, it works well because I'm here to advance a lot of skills I'm still exploring, right? So with PhD students, they they enter the program, being accepted into the program means they sort of have figured out the direction. It's more solid, you know, than the DRPH students. Um, and, and, and there's a summer residency requirement for DRPH students. So for this coming summer, I'm required to work in a, on a, say like a public health project for 10 weeks, you know, working for a, an organization. So there, there's some slight differences. Um, but having said that, I would not say that, oh, if you are in a DRPH program, you won't be able to become a scientist or an academician. Um, it's not necessarily true because even, you know, PhD students, PhD graduates do go into industry. So I, I can't really say like which one, like post- Post-doctorate degree, I, I wouldn't be able to say like what is more likely um, for us, but I, I, I can definitely say that um, now that I'm in my first year, you know, I've having seen the program requirements, I do, I do think that the RPH program is more suitable for those who are interested in a broad range of skills and um, looking for a more focus, uh, leadership focus, um, uh, upskilling. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It's it's really good to finally get a grip on what the DRPH program is. Thanks for that one. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned doing your, your uh, master's at Yale University back in 2015, you said? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what took you so long to apply for, for your next level studies and what advice can you give? When should one start applying for their PhD or their DRPH? And what are your recommendations for a successful application process? Good question. Um, actually, DRPH um, programs, most of them would require at least two years of full-time work experience. Um, so with PhD, I know some PhD programs are open to taking, you know, to accepting students that, you know, just even, even if you're just a bachelor's um, you know, graduate, bachelor's degree graduate, um, some schools will be able to accept um, you into a PhD program. Uh, but for DRPH, it's a little bit tricky. They want you to have at least two years of work experiences. But I think um, it depends on the school itself. I believe other schools, there are some schools who, who have a minimum level of like, minimum amount of like four or three years like that. Um, so for me, I knew that wasn't an option to like continue right on after my master's. Um, and I had to, you know, gain some work experiences first because I entered MPH program right after my bachelor's. Um, so it was good in a way. I, I would highly recommend for people to um, work, definitely gain work experiences first because, you know, like being being in school, you're a little bit sheltered from what is actually happening. The reality on the ground. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, you're young, you're passionate, you you want to change the world, you believe that, you know, this and this can be done and people are doing it wrong, you know. But when you're but when you're on the inside, you know, when you see how you know people actually are having other 
there's so many things that you have to overcome and it's it's just not a straightforward journey anymore and and having that perspective from the inside you know it, it's one it's it's useful for you to understand and relate back to like what you learn in your master's or bachelor's degree but i also feel that it gives you more values you know like it 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 provides you it shapes your perspectives and you are more you're clearer in terms of your goals and which is why i mean i, I understand like why the rph program requires that because you know you got to know like what you want to do next and you got to know you got to have some experiences in leading people managing people and and you know addressing conflicts and also all sorts of tensions in 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 management in the workplace yes yeah and and you know that shapes you and the the more the more i you know it, it, this isn't really like a uh what you might call that like an encouraging advice but i think like the more failures and and you know difficulties you overcome the better you that, become yeah i feel like the better and well well prepared you are for you know your journey in understanding public health mm-hmm. um so i would say if anyone is interested in applying for drph program take time to get yourself immersed in the public health practice um and you know you, it's not even necessary that you have to work for a public health organization you know some of us in my program um did not have um public experience in working on public health projects but you know public health is interdisciplinary if you're interested in solving public health problem you know but you come from like say your your work experience is on the city planning or your you work on say like you know teaching students you know everything is public health you know um like i i it's can't all connected think of, Yeah, I can't think of a thing that isn't related to public health. Public so, health, yeah. if if anyone is even thinking about, you know, going into the public health, I would say like don't be afraid to pursue it if you think you have, you know, the drive to to go the into the motivation, public health. yes. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily to have even an MPH um degree. Yeah. So, that's that's how, you know, that's that's to me that's, that's those are your the recommendations yeah, yeah and and the courage the courage to just go into public health uh, you know like that's all you need like you, you everyone can be part of public health that's how that's what i wanted to say you know oh. <laughs> well i uh, thank you for sharing your experience and your recommendations i'm sure our listeners have picked a thing or two from your your experience And then back at school I would like to know what's your opinion on how we can foster peer to peer support for students mm-hmm. to share their experiences and advance their profession uh, their career and expand their professional network. Yeah, thank you for this question. I feel that this is very relevant to all of us, you know, regardless of which program we're in, um even if we're still in undergrad and we're still exploring. Peer to peer support is definitely important. I still remember being super lost, you know, as an international student, the American education is completely different from what I've experienced, you know. Um, you know, we Brunei is a former British colony. We we don't do GPA you know (laughs) so there's definitely a lot of you know it's a huge transition yeah yeah 
for 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 international students like me, it's it's a huge transition. And so getting peer to peer support is very crucial. And I would say if you know, if if I currently I am a mother of one toddler, and so I have to be very selective with my time. But if if I were very new to the um, education system, I would highly recommend being part of the stud- any student organizations. You know, like do something that makes you you know feel like you you're part of you part of a group. You know, I feel like searching. You know, finding feeling belong to a community is very important and and being part of a student organization would be one way to do this um i remember being part of the this one uh, women's honor society back when i was doing my bachelor's at uc davis um you know like for me i wasn't sure like how to navigate the academic you know like when people talk about internship back then i wasn't familiar you know i'm a first um sorry first sorry (laughs) it's all right go ahead yeah I'm a I'm a first generation college graduate you know so like for me it's it was was all new to you it's all new yeah. yeah and like having being part of a student organization where women are all empowered and they knew what they were doing at first, I was intimidated, but I, I would strongly encourage for those who feel the imposter syndrome like me to not give in to that, you know, like where yeah. I, I feel that women, especially, we we tend to be too humbled about ourselves, you know, I, yeah. I feel that. So I've, you know, I would strongly recommend being part of student organization and not just, you know, not just being part of it, but actually getting to know the people that do you know like do well like how, mm-hmm. how do they do it like how do they have yes yeah and I feel like it, there's no right or wrong question with like with networking right like you said mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong question everything like ask anything that you're curious about you know those women who are you know willing to spend time to answer your questions no matter how simple it may sound those women are trying to lift you up and yeah and you know one day you'll be the one who would be lift others know, up lifting others exactly yeah. and well, and for me currently as a mother you know the the kind of peer support that i get is um definitely from the my immediate circle right where mm-hmm. our, our program's cohort is a bit big um you know so like there's about 11 of us right now and we have each other's back. We, you know, like recently we had a baby shower for someone who's, you know, about to give Aww. birth. So that kind of support will be very useful when you're part of a, you know, a cohort. But if your cohort is small, I would suggest like, you know, branching out. There's yeah. no need to worry about like finding support elsewhere. You know, even if someone else in a different program, if you see like there is a shared um, you know, values, there's common ground in terms of your interests. You can always reach out and always reach out to create them. rapport, yes. Mm-hmm. But if you want to talk about like professional network kind of um, expansion, I would say go to attend. I know it's a little bit hard with like, you know, the pandemic, but if you can attend conferences um, and also, you know, talks and just like get to know the professors or just like faculty members you know Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the best way to do it 
um, by being there, attending the talks. And sometimes, you know, you never know what you'll get out of it, you know, just by exactly. asking. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it may let to lead you to opportunities for like, you know, internship, research, or even mentorship. So I feel like, you know, the, the one thing that we, you know, if I can like summarize that is, yeah. don't be afraid. Just, yeah, just, go, just get get, go and do it. Get up and go mm -hmm. and do it. Wow. Thank you so much for that very detailed um, submission one. Uh, yeah. And thank you for sharing your experience with us and the remarkable work that you're doing to advance public health. Thank you so much, Susan. And with that, we've come to the end of today's episode. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at podcastquestions underscore sph at berkeley.edu.